legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is lost cast, and may your ears receive it. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 76. I am Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. So I actually talked to someone in person last week who had just heard an episode of Lost Cast. It was the most recent one, episode 75, in which right off the bat we embarrass ourselves by not knowing what a 75th anniversary is. I have looked it up. What is it? I, I now know. Uh, I don't think anyone knows this. Anyone ever, and I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna mispronounce it. Dodran Centennial. Jesus. Dodran. Dodran. Uh, whatever that word is, it means one quarter less than a whole unit. Uh, there's a easier to pronounce um, term, I guess you'd say, a diamond jubilee, which is really weird because it could mean uh, sixty years or seventy-five, or maybe it's units. Maybe it's you know could have other meanings but anyway i can't believe you actually looked that up yeah i think i was waiting for the computer to do something or um whatever it was nice i was embarrassed by our prior ignorance as usual <laughs> your prior ignorance it's it's a shared ignorance a, a collective <laughs> ignorance the, so the lost, lost decade ignorance i'm ignorant by association yes absolutely <laughs> oh what did someone on the forum just point out like a couple days ago um i think it was ken pointed out that oh, you <laughs> yeah you you were quoted as saying like oh i really love the contra auto run mantra because it's so crystal clear what that means God damn it like like two years ago or something yeah uh, it was like lost cast 15 yeah man, it, was, it, was, it was a while ago that was such a good uh man i, I felt so bad <laughs> as you should there is a permanent proof of us being dumb and not knowing and, and learning and uh it, making mistakes is one thing but i hate it when i directly contradict myself you know <laughs> a is great a is terrible it's like ah damn it it just Why? shows you're growing right yes i you're guess you're a different true. person better person a better jeff blair if you will a different different yeah not better just different <laughs> uh so in this episode we're going to talk about uh, another developer roundtable we were invited to. It was at HTML5 Developer Conference just last week in San Francisco, which we attended. It was a lot of fun. Good times were had. I uh, got to see you in person for once. That's right. And we got to punch each other in the various arms. <laughs> the various arms. Like we do. And then you had tattoos in the various arms. I did. <clears throat> like you do. My left underarm. Not a, not a fun location. I think you posted pictures of it on the forum as well. I did. And the Twitter webs. And the Twitter webs, yes. So, uh, primarily though, we were there for a developer roundtable, which ended up being a rectangle, which um, this is an, another one of those rare examples where I actually know the name of the podcast before we publish it. Usually we'll record it and then I'll name it based on what we actually talk about. But this is Devs of the Rectangle, which is... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's supposed to be like Devs of the Roundtable, but we already did that, so... <laughs> it's a remix. I'm going to be um, Sir Local Storage a lot. <laughs> ship it. Maybe I just <laughs> lied. Maybe that's the actual title. Um, so we and four other developers were gathered in San Francisco, and uh, we were given some topics to discuss with each other. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to say is that it was a little different than last time, actually, um, in that the first time we did this roundtable, um, it was at GDC, and it was kind of in public, you know, right. like we did it at the Intel booth uh, on the GDC Expo floor. Yeah. And this time they wanted to do something a little different. So they uh, basically rented out a private room at a restaurant and they got us together and they gave us dinner and then they wanted to do kind of more of like dinner and a discussion style of roundtable. Yeah. I thought that was a good format. It was actually. I think that once we kind of got into the meat and potatoes of the uh, the discussion, um, yeah. it was really easy to kind of like everything else was in isolation you know right there wasn't yeah. a lot of distraction there wasn't a lot of pressure it was kind of just like six people sitting down at a dinner table discussing you know just talking shop yeah i like this format uh, a lot better i think uh, it's not that i don't like the live format 
Uh, it's fun having an audience and everything. Um, but, you know, them both being equal, this one uh, I thought was uh, very organized and well put together. And it's it was like kind of a created an experience out of it. You know, you have some wine, have some food, and then sit down and you're like, you're comfortable and you're happy. It was good. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So we were joined by four other fine developers, which we will go over. Um, first off, we got Kyle Simpson, who's probably better known as Getify, uh, open web evangelist. We had uh, Ian Devlin, a senior web dev for Pixelith um, from Germany. We also had John Han uh, from Pivotal and Cujo.js. And we had Dave Arell, who is director of JavaScript engineering at Belly. You may have seen that uh, Belly's like a rewards system so for uh, like point of sale type stuff. Like you might see it at like a cash register at a store and you like swipe your Belly card and you get like, ooh, you've earned one tenth of a free meal or whatever. I think it's pretty cool that someone can have a title of director of JS engineering. Yeah. I th- that, isn't that what uh, Crockford had at Yahoo? principal javascript architect or something yeah something like that i believe js was in the job title now he's like grandmaster of paypal or <laughs> grandfather <laughs> of paypal perhaps <laughs> um so yeah we gathered around uh the rectangle it was it was not a round table which which is totally fine but uh <laughs> just to be just to have fun with words and uh we were given some topics to discuss it wasn't real like um uh, it was a little more informal. It wasn't like, here's the topics and somebody was moderating. It was more like, here's some things you could talk about and you should talk about things kind of like those. Uh, but we ended up staying pretty on pretty on topic. Yeah, it was actually, you know, it's kind of interesting anytime you get together with new people, you know, it, it's, you never know quite how the dynamic between people are, are going to play out uh, with regards to conversation. But um it was actually pr- it's pretty great. Um, the conversation was like fast and, and a lot of back and forth, and um, it seemed to flow really well. I, I think that it it's kind of funny. Uh, by the end of the thing, I was like, "Oh, you know, like I, I want to keep going." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had a lot more in me. Oh I man, I could have talked for another hour at least. Yeah, that's yeah, the hard was... part about those things is that like, I, I, and this is something that I've been thinking about. You know, a- after we recorded, you know. I kind of like have anxiety about, you know, what people are going to think about the end product. And it's like, I never want people to think like, Oh, these guys don't know what they're talking about or whatever. Right. Um, but it's hard because like you have this little snapshot of what we were talking about, you know, and it's hard to like, especially when there's six different people trying to like get different points across and, and make arguments that, uh, you kind of end up getting this little snapshot of the conversation, which, you know, like I said, I I felt like I could have expounded, (laughs) <laughs> for another hour or two about the various subjects we were talking about. Yeah, I, I'm really interested to see the final product. It's um, They had multiple cameras and it's going to be edited. And so it'll probably have like a pretty slick professional feel to it. Um, I mean, that said, a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of our content, a lot of our conversation is likely going to be on the cutting room floor, so to speak. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what, yeah, the final product looks like. There are yeah. a lot of things said. You know what thing that I, I really liked about that roundtable, though, and, and I hope that they keep it, was that I think that we were pretty brutally honest in a lot of ways. I think that, you know, there were some things said, not in a mean way, but like, you know, some kind of hard truths about either browsers or companies making browsers or HTML5 itself. Yeah. Like, you and I tend to be very, I don't know about skeptical, but we tend to put HTML5 down. And uh, whenever discussing it with other developers, I, I kind of play devil's advocate a little bit, I think, because I'm entrenched in HTML5. It's the platform I choose to make games on and all that. But at the same time, I mean, I know it's flaws firsthand, you know, and I know that it's not the right tool for a lot of jobs. So I like to kind of put that front and center to be discussed, you know? Yeah, I think so too. And one reason that I think we both do that is because uh, I don't think either of us want to come across as the kind of person that's like, this is what you have to use. Like, this Our is way the, or the only highway. option. Yeah. yeah. If it's not HTML5, it's dumb and the past and you are a caveman, blah, blah. <laughs> no, nah, we don't even really feel that way. It's just we've seen there's so many different ways to make software. Uh, what was that game? Uh, Black Annex from last year, I think, was made in QBasic. 
And when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's a pretty good story. And why didn't I think of that? Because I, I still love QBasic. What a great little language that like launched my career, you know? Yeah. We should do that low res game jam with QBasic. Low res game jam. <laughs> Ship it. Anyways. So uh, let's go over some of the questions and, uh, and reminisce and discuss. Uh, so these are actually the topics that were listed, but uh, like I said earlier, we didn't necessarily like list these out verbatim. It was kind of like they were there in spirit. I think some of them we did actually um, cover. Some of them we kind of hit just through the natural course of talking about HTML5 because right. a lot of them are questions that like inevitably, if you're talking about HTML5, you're going to get into HTML5 versus native or whatever. Right. Yeah. So first one. What are the benefits of having an open community like the HTML5 hub inspired by Intel? That's an interesting question because, you know, anytime that there's like corporate sponsorship, um, you always have to be careful that like it's not, you're not being a show. <laughs> right. For said company. Have you uh, used McDonald's script? <laughs> Comes with a free fry. <laughs> you're like, what? <laughs> what free fries. I can't lose. Yeah, no, HTML5 Hub, though, hasn't been like that at all. It's really nice to see um, Intel just kind of fanning it, but letting it exist independently and be its own thing. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely, you know, attaching their name to it, but they're not dictating um, how the conversation should go. Yeah. Um, And I think it's interesting to point out, or relevant to point out, that when we met uh, one of the higher-ups at HTML5 DEF CONF last year, uh, when we were on stage talking about our experiences with xdk and things like that um they kind of valued brutal honesty over everything else and i think it kind of showed in that most of the people that were on stage there were using some parts of the intel software stack and some not and some had issues that were unresolvable at the current time and things like that but it was all okay you know it's all good Um, so i i think it's you know uh, back to that question back to that question i think that um having a hub a thing like html5 hub is actually really beneficial um in a lot of ways i think that some of the points that were brought up was like you know uh, it kind of lends weight uh to the tech stack you know to see someone like intel or really any other company um kind of treating it serious from an enterprise perspective i know you know like right. when google pimps html5 it's like well yes you live and die in the browser like of course right Um, but to see a company like Intel, who's kind of like more of an enterprisey software solutions kind of company, then, um, I think it lends weight to it as a, just a technology platform. I think that came up too, is like, why does Intel even care about HTML5? And I think it's because Intel themselves, I mean, their primary business models, they make computer chips, you know? And so they want to be agnostic, like their chips power max powers windows powers linux machines you know servers and desktop computers and all of them have one thing in common they've all got web browsers they can all run html5 apps and so there's like an invested interest if that like the better that runs the better it'll run across intel computers right totally and you know just to be clear anything that we say here about intel is not anything that we are not representing intel we don't no 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 know any of their strategy um no no money exchange hands. <laughs> no money exchange hands. And so when we speculate about why they're doing things, it's coming from a position of pure speculation. Yes. Just exactly. to put that out there, because I'm going to speculate. <laughs> you you are a speculator. I am. Um, speculator. My speculation is that it's also kind of beneficial for them to um, promote a open platform, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many proprietary platforms these days, like iOS and um you know just windows obviously and like having you know putting their weight behind this open platform um kind of gives them uh or anyone really i mean not even intel but like anybody that's not apple or facebook or whatever like um you know you want to put your resources behind something that's going to be a good platform for you later on you you don't necessarily want to pump your corporate resources into a platform that does nothing but supports another corporate entity right right like i think that's what i was getting at in a very rambly sort of way that's why (laughs) a roundabout kind of way uh that's why valve was so is so 
eager to get off of Windows. You know, they want to have um, the Steam box and they want to be running it on Linux where no one can, you know, come in and tell them you can't do this or you can't do that with, with their software. You know, they want to get away from Windows and get onto Linux. And, you know, if HTML5 made sense for them, they might consider that as well because it's open and they can do whatever they want with it. And their success is not determined by another company like Microsoft, right? If you think about it, actually, Valve um, has been running a what we in the business call a hybrid app for a very, very long time. I guess that's true, yeah. I mean, the Steam client is essentially, you know, it, it's a native app that, that tracks your gameplay and launches games and installs games, does a lot of native things. But all of the interface for the store and your profile and browsing games and all that stuff is all web-based. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a Chrome, like a just a big wrapper for the web interface. Yeah, and like, that's a very smart decision, right? Yeah. So it makes sense why Intel cares and why they are helping HTML5 Hub and HTML5 Developer Conference and all that. Um, so with, with uh, developers like us, though, we tend to kind of wants to build everything ourselves we have that built here mentality for better or for worse and we also like we get out into the community you know but we don't um we don't do it a whole lot we haven't written a whole lot of external articles and you know like we participate in our own forums and sometimes like html5 game devs forums and stuff like that but i don't know if we're terribly active in the community um so i was trying to think of like well how how actually does something like html5 hub benefit people like us you know and I, I did think of one thing. Even though we have the built-here mentality, we've still kind of let other developers into our tool set, you know? Because now, these days, we're using Require.js um, and Howler. So, like, certain parts of our stack we're willing to outsource. And you know how we find out that those libraries even exist? Places like HTML5 Hub. You know? Right. You've got to discover them somehow. You're not just going to go to GitHub. I mean, maybe you do, but <laughs> you're, not gonna, you're not necessarily just going to browse the thousands of repositories. You might want to see an article about it. You might want to see, like, here's a spotlight of Howler and why it's a pretty good audio library, or here's how Require.js can make your life easier, that kind of thing. Well, it's nice to be able to have kind of a curated place to see uh, examples of places or things that HTML5 could do that you don't necessarily know. Or right. ways that you could be more efficient with your HTML5. I mean, there's a lot of lot of stuff on the internet. Um, you know, you can go to Stack Overflow, but you know that's not. It's like a different use case, right? Stack Overflow right. is like I'm googling for this specific error message, and I'm going to go Stack Overflow because someone solved this problem already. Right. Um, but things like HTML5 Hub are more useful for kind of just keeping up to date with what's new and hot in HTML5. Yeah getting to know other developers and seeing what they're using and thinking about what you might want to use and all that. Yep. So, um, it gets right into the thick of it. Next, the great HTML5 debate. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, native versus HTML5 versus hybrid. Which is best? Very complicated it's, question. It's a loaded question. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's, it's kind of one of those questions where it's like, the answer to me and and I think what I one of the things I tried to uh, really push during the roundtable or the rectangle was that <laughs> <laughs> there is there is no best. Like the concept of best is is always going to be subjective, right? Yeah, it depends on what you're doing. And so the short answer to that question is none of those is the best because none of those things are always the best in every single scenario for every single developer for every single target market. So you pick D, none of the above. <laughs> I do <laughs> D, none of the above. <laughs> And yet you use HTML5. Well, you have to use something. What? I can't use nothing, Matt. How do you contradict yourself like this? It's an outrage. <laughs> um, I might make the argument that uh, the way that we use HTML5, even though we develop in it in a very like purist way, is still a hybrid. Like what we ship to customers is a hybrid application because, I don't know, at, at some point, HTML5 needs to sit on top of something native you know it needs to have an interpreter it needs to have a vm or whatever uh renderer like all these things eventually talk to a lower level layer and so we could be seen as like we uh we have node webkit which is like the native version and then we have our html5 app which is pure html5 and then we jam that in there and then we have our hybrid app and that's what we deliver to people right kind of i think I that 
it's hard to say because like yes and no right yeah because if you think about it our games running inside of node webkit are so similar to our games running in in chrome yeah and really the only reason we do it is for distribution channels like the humble store and and steam like basically if the web if someone had figured out how to monetize the web really well without depending on ads and crap we probably wouldn't even bother we would just right. go straight to the web yeah and some people have i mean there's developers like clay doing you know they they distribute don't starve through the chrome web store right and i'm really really curious to see how that's doing for them i mean obviously yeah. we probably won't ever know but um in our experience and you know again this is just our limited experience and we're a niche within a niche probably <laughs> but uh it was very hard to get people to take your games as seriously you know and then yeah i think one of the interesting things about this panel and, and us in general is that we come at the problem of html5 from a very different perspective than a lot of people you know yeah we do um some people are making kind of connected by default applications where the web is is really really great and hosting it on the web is great and all those other things but you know for us games they kind of have a different kind of <laughs> ecosystem you know at least single player games that we're making do yeah right yeah yeah totally i mean you could make the argument i feel like that, a lot of web applications are really just an interface to a database you know i mean that's pretty much what facebook is it's like we've got this massive database and you want access to it and you do that through many different interfaces, native or web or whatever. But that's like the web is really great for that as I've got this online database and I want to put an interface in front of it. So just bam, open up your browser, like you're connected. I can use Ajax. I, I can I can use a socket connection. You can remain connected to my server and I can just send you the data as you need it. We can send the data back and forth. It's great. Makes a lot of sense. And to be Not, fair, there's games like that too, but... Totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, a game built on top of the like just using facebook as an example like a facebook game would have access to the same stuff you know it's like oh you completed this level let's see what other like, hey your three friends did that same thing only they did better scores you know right um just your access to the social graph or just whatever database it is sometimes it could just be like a high score table right that's the only data is like everyone's got access like uh no i'm not gonna say it I'm not gonna do it i'm gonna move on to the next question <laughs> um yeah, I think that what it comes down to, though, is even though we are pure HTML5 developers, we still see that it's kind of an ongoing debate, and there is no perfect answer. It's It ranges drastically from um, one product to another, basically. It's like one problem might be best solved with native, one might be pure HTML5, and in the middle, there's a really wide spectrum of hybrid apps where that would make a lot of sense. So... Here's a question that's probably even more interesting for, from our perspective is why do we pick HTML5 over other avenues of distributing games? I think that just comes from what we're comfortable with, basically. Like when we were getting started uh, in 2010, HTML5 was like almost, yeah, I mean, you could make some crap. You could make a pretty lousy application. <laughs> and we did. And we did. And uh, <laughs> we just, honestly, if it hadn't, like if if it, HTML5 has, has been picking up a lot, it's been seeing lots of game engines and it's getting faster and companies like Intel are, are putting a lot of resources into it. You know, if we hadn't seen that kind of growth, we probably would have jumped ship a long time ago. Probably be Unity or maybe we'd be writing native apps on Windows machines. That, that's pretty possible. If we were like, we're currently focusing on desktop and core experiences and, and Windows owns that market, something like 80, 90% of people on desktop computers or on Windows, you know? I can totally see a world where, you know, HTML5 never really picked up, JavaScript never really became fast enough. We're working in Visual Studio all day. Um, if you look at, there's been a bunch of games that I've been playing, indie games recently, where they've made the decision to be Windows only. I mean, maybe I not that. because they wanted to, but just because that's what kind of worked for them. I mean, the game that may not be named um, is like... <laughs> windows and and uh xbox specific and um a bunch of other indie games i played recently are windows only yeah i mean i i think that it makes a lot of sense to focus on the big numbers you know i remember uh when i was working retail through college it was uh toys r us and something shocking like 80 plus percent of 
the people who came into the store and actually made decision uh, the decision to buy something, uh, all the purchase power lied within mothers. That's just the way like American, <laughs> the American audience that happens to shop at Toys R Us. That's just how they work. And so that was the focus. It was like focus on mothers because there's an 80% plus chance that the person you're talking to is going to be a mother. And so we're just going to cater to them, you know? And if you're a indie developer and it's like, okay, we're going to cater to desktop 90% or whatever is using windows. That makes a lot of sense. Why would you focus all the extra time and attention on this small percentage when you can, you know, barely even pay your bills? I don't know. It's not always the best approach, but I think it makes a lot of sense in some contexts. It's understandable. Totally. And, uh, but I think that that's actually one way that HTML5 has helped us. I mean, outside of the fact that we know it inside and out and, and we like working with it. But, you know, I mean, imagine the work that would have gone into us creating Windows, Mac, and Linux versions of Oof. our game if we had been using some other technology stack. I mean, even if you're using something relatively cross-platform, like let's say we're using C and SDL and, you know, OpenGL or whatever, Mono you know, game. whatever these kind of common graphical <laughs> frameworks happen to be right uh, it would still be hard and, and I, I think that from what i know a lot of people that, that create games on windows often have them ported by third-party companies to to mac and linux yeah that's pretty common and we didn't have to do that i mean i mean i i could see this too you know how, um sometimes developers will make something and then put it out there and see how it does you know and it could be that you know this particular <laughs> This particular development studio, they're not going to launch anything until they've seen a hit. So first it's a hit on Windows, and then they're like, well, here's an easy way to increase our sales by 10 or 20% is to tap into the Mac and Linux markets. And that makes a lot of sense at that point. Right. So I think the real answer, and probably everybody would agree with this, is there is no true one right way. There's probably... Uh, most optimal approaches for very specific types of games or types of applications. Like we were saying earlier, if, if you know, you, you everyone in, uh, just wants access to an online database and you want a web interface for that, HTML5 makes a lot of sense for that. For a lot of games, native is the only way to go because of speed and, and uh, performance and that kind of stuff. Um, so there is no right answer, which leads us to our next question. HTML5 in 2014. Where are we going? Where are we going, Jeff? Yeah, I don't know. Um, hopefully good places. I don't know if it we seems... specifically covered this question. I think we talked a lot about just kind of general climate stuff. Yeah, I don't think we actually addressed like what, you know, what are the predictions for 2014? I'll um, tell you what we've been seeing this year so far, which is uh, kind of fair because the year is about half over. Um, I think we've seen more granular libraries. Stuff like Pixie comes out, and it's, you know, here's a game engine that does one thing. I'm going to render some sprites and images and whatever you want. Pixie but isn't even a game engine. No, it, it's like a, it's really just a rendering engine. It does, it's really fast, it, you know, takes some images, here's, an, here's a sprite atlas or whatever, and it doesn't have to be used in games. Um, Phaser uses it as its rendering engine. But Phaser also has lots of niceties, I'm imagining. <laughs> like well, Game also, State yeah, they have a lot of yeah. Game Loop. Stuff physics. you need to make games. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Pixie doesn't include anything. Like, there's no physics. There's no right. anything. It's basically display and input. And right. that's it. And I guess in 2014, we might see that continue. Is more granular, specialized offerings. A little bit less of like, here's jQuery. It does everything you'd ever want to do as a web developer right and more you know here's this specific library here's howler we do audio and that's going to be all and we might even see that branch out like here's one that does like this library is great for you know music on a timeline when you really depend on the music being played at a certain time or you want events like i want to know every 10 seconds or i want to know you know i want i want to do um play some effects based on the beat you know i've seen a lot of nintendo games do this where you're playing a Mario level and like the mushrooms are kind of dancing along with the beat, you know? Yeah. Like that could be a whole specialist library right there or just one that focuses on nothing but sound effects. You know, here's sound effects and here's some 3D spatial tools where you can make the sounds like in the in the original Doom, the demons would sometimes sound like, oh, I'm coming from over here or like, oh, I'm behind you. You know, they, they kind of like that 3D spatial things. 
you could totally have libraries that do nothing but just those things really well. I, uh, I'm a big fan of kind of the specialized component way of, of constructing applications. And that's one of the things that I love about the web and HTML5 in general is that there's so much choice. Yeah. Um, and so many ways of doing things and people are kind of free to just iterate on these individual components that can be highly specialized and really, really good at what they do. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you see that in other platforms as well. Like, you know, there's certain game platforms that are like, they do a lot of things really well, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's never going to be as lucrative of an ecosystem as the open web where anyone and everyone can be empowered to create these kind of little specialized tools that do one thing really, really well. Right. So I think we'll start to see more of that. And probably along with it, we might even see some uh, new and better tools for uh, requirements and loading libraries dynamically, stuff like Require.js and Browserify. Uh, as we have more granular libraries, um, importance for dependencies and stuff, well, I think will increase. And uh, I think, you know, hopefully we'll see the language itself evolve, you know, uh, ECMAScript 6 and uh, all the changes and, and stuff that that brings. I mean, hopefully there'll be a day where we won't need Require.js or Browserify. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> it would be. So, what tools are available for developers? There are many. We were kind of just talking about that, actually. We were. Although, I mean, that's, you know, I don't know. It's hard, a hard question for, you to, for me to answer because I'm still kind of stuck in the dark ages of programming. <laughs> uh, well, funnily enough, actually, I started programming in Visual Studio when I first yep. got started programming. And so I went from like this really nice, does everything for you, interactive, step through and debugging kind of environment. And then I moved to the web where it was like, you're writing in a glorified notepad and you're alerting <laughs> errors. The web is abrasive. It hates you. It does. Don't hack on the web. Use and, notepad. Uh, there's a lot of tools out there that kind of, you know, claim to be good at, at doing JavaScript development. But, you know, for me, there's nothing better than Sublime Text paired with the Chrome debugging tools right now. You keep uh, it simple and lean. I do like to keep it simple and lean, yeah. And uh, that's not to say there aren't great tools out there. I mean, there there are certainly people working really hard to make awesome tools. And uh, another great thing about the web, right, is that, you know, people are free to create whatever tools they want. You know, you can have people with whiz-bang IDEs. You can have people that use Vim. You can have people use Emacs, Sublime. Thanks for the uh, shout-out. WebStorm. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to include you. You're a person. <laughs> I may be a Vim user, but I'm still a person. <laughs> So your answer is uh, nothing I care about. If you want it, build it yourself. Uh, well, I think that those <laughs> the IDE tools will, will continue to get better. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people consider Flash a good tool, um, but there doesn't really appear to be a kind of Flash replacement for HTML5 game development at this point in time. Totally seems like there's a hole in the market for that. You know, somebody who just wants to make, say, a little interactive movie, just wants to animate some pictures and put it on the web. The other direction that things could go is that, you know, HTML5 could become just a rendering target or a compilation target, you know? Oh, it totally is already, even. I mean, yeah, it is. But, I mean, that, that, that trend could continue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people could, like, fast developers who are comfortable in the Flash IDE and, you know, they were writing they could continue to write ActionScript 3 and just business as normal for them, right? But now instead of compiling a Swift or, you know, using Air to bundle it up and put it wherever, uh, they, now the Flash IDE has an out, outport, uh, <laughs> output, exports, what have you, to HTML5, right? It's just a target now. And Unity targets HTML5 and totally. GameMaker targets HTML5 and Hacks targets HTML5. I mean... That's definitely not going to be the case going forward. I mean, that's definitely not going to go away. Right. Uh, well, I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, are we going to see HTML5 tools, like pure HTML5 tools, rise along with it? Or is HTML5 kind of just going to be one of many targets that these kind of higher level abstract tools target? 
Even Game Maker can target HTML5. A relatively recent addition. I said that already. You said Game Maker? I did. Oh, that's more proof that I don't really listen to you. Yeah, I was gonna anyway, say. I agree with your last point that I am awesome. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Matt. Yeah. Uh, I think with the tooling, it's, it's a difficult question to answer because the tools are a vast, vast ocean. There's so much out there from editors you can use to, you know, Eclipse plugins or, you know, tools like jQuery, game engines like Phaser. For us, it's more like we try to keep it a little simple, simpler. It might be here's just the Chrome browser and we use Chrome dev tools, but that's an important tool to mention. And, and like the Chrome dev tools, that's that just right there is a pretty deep lake, at least, you know, it's got the console. It's, it's got, um, I don't use this stuff. Let me pull it up. You use this more than me. It's got you can, profiling and interactive debugging and yeah, audits, watching. networks, and actually very recently added canvas, uh, frame debugging, which oh, is pretty yeah, cool. That's a good I played one. around with that. Actually, you can basically capture, one entire canvas frame and you can step through and, and you can watch all the calls happening. Um, you know, you can watch the drawing one by one. Yeah. Yeah. So Ooh. you basically start with like this blank screen and you have like this kind of list of things that happened to the canvas over the course nice. of the frame and you can replay them. And so you can see, okay, it drew this sprite, do that sprite, do the background, drew this light effect, do that light effect or whatever. Oh man, I got to see that. See, even just keeping up with the Chrome Dev Tools, like I follow the the Chrome Developer blog, and I'll I'll see those articles. But it takes time just to keep up with just that one tiny little area of the tools available to you as an HTML5 developer. You know, never mind all of the probably hundreds of new GitHub repositories that have really promising libraries, or you know, there's probably some pretty slick HTML5 plugins for for Vim that I haven't even heard about. You know. One of the things that I love about developing in Chrome, uh, well, using the Chrome Dev Tools, is that like it's this really interesting kind of pairing of the runtime and the debugging, right? And I I don't know. I mean, maybe I just don't know a lot about how the Visual Studio stuff works, but it always felt like the compiled executable was this different thing than the debugging environment, right? You know, it's like you create an executable and then you run it and then sometimes it crashes and you have to debug it through like (laughs) stack traces or something. I don't even know. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, And when you're debugging it in the Visual Studio environment, you know, you're stepping through and you can see everything happening in real time and it's very powerful, expressive debugger. Um, But it it definitely felt like there was this disconnect between, okay, you're debugging and developing and then now you're compiling and now you're running it for real. Right, yeah. And it felt like in that production environment, you know, if something went wrong, you're like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a little bit of that, to be fair, with, you know, Node WebKit and stuff. But by and large, the code that we're debugging and stepping through is like running in the exact same browser that we'll be deploying it to since we deploy through Node WebKit and Chromium. Right, yeah. It's very close. So here's a big one. How to take HTML5 apps to market? It's a tough question. It is. It's, again, <laughs> it depends on the market. You know what I mean? like Yeah, it does. You know, HTML5 apps can serve a variety of purposes. I mean, they can be uh, something like, you know, Pinterest or Instagram could have an HTML5 app you know i mean they do i mean they have a website so technically you know one would assume they're using html5 yeah, to power their website much. you know that has you know, if you're deploying anything web-based you're going to have to use html5 in some capacity right um i think maybe that question is more specifically talking about how do you take what would seem to be native html apps or native apps to the various marketplaces where people are currently consuming applications because I yeah. think that's kind of the trendy thing right now is, you know, it's all about mobile apps like tablets and, and phones and iOS and Android and whatever have you. Yeah. Like it seems, I guess, slightly redundant to be like, take your HTML5 app to the open web because that's kind of where it was born from, you know? I guess right. this question's a little more along the lines of like, okay, say in our case, we're making a hardcore desktop game called The Wizard's Lizard, available now for... it's uh like we wrap it up with node webkit and we sell it on humble store and we also use greenworks 
uh, from Greenheart Studios to integrate with Steam to put it on Steam. That is a viable way to take an HTML5 app to market. Is it right. what most people in the industry are doing? No! <laughs> most of them care about mobile because that's the whole... Like, they wouldn't care about HTML5 in the first place if it didn't do mobile really well. And so in those cases, the, there's also a lot of great options. For example, Luday. Anytime people ask us, how do you take your HTML5 game to mobile? Point them to Luday. We actually saw Luday um, at HTML5 DevConf. They have a... They always have a nice presence at all those major conferences. Um, yeah, sadly, yeah. we didn't have a lot of time. That was a very short trip, um, so we didn't get to spend too much time with them. But Lude has a great offering called Cocoon.js, and that is a great way to take your HTML5 app straight to that market. You know, like it's in the Apple iOS app store. It's on Google Play. People can buy it for Android or download it for Android or whatever. That's a totally good way to go. And there's other options too. I mean... Um you can also use things like PhoneGap yep. um, or other kind of like native, uh, like a web view wrapper kind of technologies. Impact.js, I'm sure, is a very popular game engine among our fine listeners. And they all have the option of using Ejecta, which uh, is made by the same developer and I'm sure integrates perfectly with Impact. And that's uh, that's how you get your game on iPhone. Right. So um, there's some other stuff too that I've been interested in. Like uh, Intel actually has this crosswalk thing meaning to look at i'm not exactly sure what it is but it sounds kind of uh similar um and they also have their xdk which is yep. like an environment that will build towards native targets kind of like you know cocoon js or something so there's lots exactly. of options to you know basically wrap up your game and so i think that's the short answer is to take your html5 game or app to market you're probably going to need to wrap it up for native stores because that's where all you know, that's where people are buying apps and right. there are people consuming applications and games through the open web on their mobile phones, but I think that that's not the market that a lot of people are trying to go after right now. There are some people going after that market. Um, there's but there's plenty, it, yeah. That's how we used money, to yeah. basically make our living was we would make little HTML5 games that run well on mobile and it'll work in the Android browser, it'll work in the mobile Safari for iPhone or whatever. And there are companies who do nothing but try to drive traffic to their portfolio of games on the open mobile web. That's totally a viable option. And so that kind of, like, if you're a content creator, right, if you want to create apps that work, uh, or if you want to create games specifically that work in the open web, and you don't want to worry about wrapping it up and distribution and stuff, like, that's a great avenue. Right. You know, get in contact with these, you know, game portal providers, um, license them your game. You can license your game to many of them. And then they will resell and, and put your game all over these kind of open web portals. Right. So that's one way to, to kind of take your app to market. I mean, that's like a B2B, right? Like you right. are supplying creative content to another business. You are a business to business developer at that point. We were doing that for over a year, I guess. We were, and we still do a little bit of contracting to kind of, you know, fill in the gaps. Um, a little bit, yeah. But... As far as taking it direct to consumers, I feel like you have to wrap it up in some fashion. I mean, if you want to hit, like for us in games, if you want to hit the large markets, like you have to be on Steam. So you're going to have to be able to distribute your game um, through Steam as some kind of executable. But this this is how the, the HTML5 as a platform is so flexible. You don't even have to wrap it up. You could go straight to Congregate. They, they accept HTML5 now and you could go straight to your user base there, you know? That's true. Um, and again, like, you know, taking it to market is very subjective to what your goals are. Right. Uh, I, I kind of feel like Congregate is almost in the same realm as what we were talking about before with these, like, portal providers because yep. a lot of these portal providers, they'll either license your game for a flat fee or for, like, a revenue share percentage. And essentially, that's what Congregate does. Right. Congregate gives you rev share on ads. Right. And so, in that respect, they're really no different than... And these other portals, except for they have a stronger foothold on desktop, and these other companies have a stronger foothold on mobile. Exactly. So, so you could take, let's say you want to make hardcore desktop games like we do, right? You don't even have to get no WebKit involved. You can make your game, you can put it in the open web, you can put your own ads on it. That's, you know, the primary way that the web monetizes, and that could work. And then you could also put it on Congregate. Show their ads instead. They have a much bigger audience than you. They know millions of gamers who might like to play your game and they can help you promote it and all that. But really, you haven't done much differently because like the way Congregate 
can work is you just point to an iframe and so there's your game that's totally a legitimate way to go there's you so know, many different ways there are so many different ways and i think that it's one of the things that kind of weighs on my mind every once in a while is like should we be playing more to the strengths of the web i think about you know, that yeah it's like maybe you and i should be making a really like a some kind of massively multiplayer game i mean i don't mean like wow necessarily but i mean right a kind of game where lots and lots of people are playing either individual small games with other people or they're all kind of interacting in, in one large world. I mean, maybe it's like a turn-based strategy game. Right. Um, or some kind of like very like, you know, like Legend of the Green Dragon or some kind of like asynchronous RPG. Right. Um, that's kind of like powered by a web server in the cloud and it's got a database with all the information and, and it's kind of like much closer to what you're talking about before, right? It's like, an interface to a database that is what html5 is kind of best for here's a web interface you got some access to a database you got a socket connection there's just there's a lot of things it does better than here's a downloadable desktop game you know that's i just know that we're not using the best tool for this job right. and so i just think about that a lot yeah it's hard though because whenever i think about that then i start thinking like well what kind of game would you make and then every time i start going down that road all of the easy options are not maybe not easy but you know all of the things that start presenting themselves kind of seem like directions that we don't necessarily want to go yeah every time we have that conversation we get to the point where there's there's no getting around it you would we would need to have some type of persistent database and at that point we would basically always be on call to keep it up and it would basically be a time tax that's that's the wall we usually hit that we don't want to climb uh, and there's monetization concerns too you know i mean it's much easier totally. for us to understand hey we made this game buy it for 10 bucks uh you can download these various channels that manage all of the downloading and the uploading or updating of the, of the app and stuff like that yeah that is the conventional way to go right right versus you know if we did something that was kind of a pure online social thing it doesn't necessarily have to be like social but you know uh, kind of a, a multiplayer thing based on the web, you know, we'd have to figure out most people aren't going to be, hey, yeah, I'll pay 10 bucks for access to a website. You know, I mean, then it's just not how that works. You know, you go to like, okay, I'm gonna go to a magazine stand and look at these magazines and you know how it works. You pay like two bucks and get a magazine, right? Or maybe you buy a subscription or something. And then there's this one magazine there and it's like, I'm 30 bucks, you know, or you can only buy me with bitcoins or you know, you can only barter for me. I won't accept cash. Anything that strays from the norm is just going to have fewer people interested in buying it. You know, you want to hook into that big machine. Right. Anyway, that's, uh, we kind of jumped off the deep end like we do. That was only the first tangent though. So I'm kind of proud of us. We're about <laughs> yes. 50 minutes in. and <laughs> Only one tangent. That's I know. Crazy. What kind of lost cast is this? It's um, focus cast. Focused. So the last question HTML5 advice from the experts, which, I mean, what are they talking about? We were there. There's no experts here. Come on. <laughs> I'm kidding. I kid, I kid. Uh, tips, tricks, and recommendations. This was actually kind of a hard one. I had to think for quite a while about this. And eventually what I came up with, um, I believe we actually got this tip from Ebon of Lude. Um, it was batch your canvas calls. And the like. at first, um, <laughs> the other developers there weren't necessarily intimately familiar with Canvas. And so I don't think that there was a lot of like um, just mutual knowledge and like a, a shared understanding of, of why optimization would even be necessary. So the analogy I used, I think, uh, got everybody on board. It was um, kind of like fragmenting, I think is what it's called, where say, if you come from the DOM world as a web developer, you want to say like adds, add some text or like just add a node to the document. Um, and if you're going to do that like 50 or 100 times, you don't want to be touching the DOM every single time. You want to batch that up. So you like you make an unordered list or whatever, and you put 100 names in it, and then you take that thing and you put that in the DOM. Same kind of idea where you'll take your canvas calls, like I want to rotate, I want to stretch, I want to transform, whatever. I want to composite. Do as many of those as you can together before, and instead of in, like, you know, you make a call to canvas, and then you save or, or whatever. You just want to only talk to the context when you have to, right? It's actually a, it's kind of a, a very generalized tip if you think about it. It's the kind of the underlying wisdom there is 
Don't cross the JavaScript native barrier unless you have to. Don't cross the streams. Don't cross the streams, right? <laughs> and it's actually something that we learned working on kind of wrapped games yeah. um, at Game Closure and other companies and things we've seen with, with Cocoon.js and stuff. Um, and it's, a, it's kind of especially true when you're talking about these, these wrappers. And I think that it holds true for the browser as well. But essentially what happens with these, these wrappers like Cocoon.js is that they're running your JavaScript code in, the, in Google's V8 uh, JavaScript engine, right? Right. And they've implemented the Canvas API, and it's backed by OpenGL or, or whatever uh, on the target native device. And anytime you cross that barrier between JavaScript land and native land, I believe that there's a cost. Right. And I would assume that holds true for the web browser as well. And I think that's why um, that, you know, accessing the DOM in succession is a bad idea. And I think it, for a couple of reasons. One is every time you make a call into the DOM, it's like hitting native code somehow. Right. And then two, um, it's probably trying to update right away. You know, you send it some DOM updates and it's like, great, I got some DOM updates, I'll apply those. Oh, I got some more DOM updates, I'll apply those. And so you're kind of unnecessarily updating things that are going to change again shortly. Right. What kind of kills me is I know that we both on our own and collectively have a lot of tips, tricks, and recommendations in the HTML5 stack, but they're kind of un... Like, we're not aware of what they are these days anymore because it feels like we've been doing largely the same things for a couple of years. So to some people who, you know, maybe they're just getting to the app-making process or they're new to Canvas or new to games or whatever it is, certain you know, tips and tricks might seem really great to them, but to us, it's kind of old hat. I'm not trying to say that we're like, Ooh, look how advanced we are or anything. I'm just saying that like, when you're as close to your work as we are, like, we don't know, like (laughs) I'm doing all this crap every day. Something, some of this is probably good. (laughs) 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 A little bit of what we're doing surely. It's such a broad field. I mean, programming in general, not just HTML five. And so like, if you were to go up to a programmer and say like, Hey, what are your, you know, best tips and tricks for programming? They'd be like, bah, bah, uh, well, what? I mean, give me some more context, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that kind of holds true here. It's like, well, if you have a specific problem, I'm sure that we could think of all kinds of little tidbits to help you. Right, yeah. Um, but just for like kind of generalized advice across HTML5 in general, it's a little difficult. Yeah, um, definitely hard. I think anything relating to performance, though, is probably a good thing. Yeah. So I, I like the idea of batching stuff um, because, you know, because of the way that the HTML5 works, you're always going to have this layer essentially between you and native, right? so to speak. And um, it, it's interesting. We kind of got this the debate during the rectangle, but... Um, <laughs> rectangle? <laughs> I love it. You know, JavaScript will get faster and, and it will get faster for all the things that we're doing now might be might seem trivial, but... At that point in time, you know, the resources demanded of the computer might be even more. I mean, if you think about it, like, yeah, JavaScript could run things like games that were programmed 20 20 years ago standing on its head, but the expectations of games in the last 20 years have skyrocketed, you know, and and there's really nothing to say that that is going to stop. And so, to my mind, there's always going to be this cost of going HTML5, and it's going to be a performance penalty. And... Yes, JavaScript's always getting faster. And it's always going to be a contender, I think, but it's always going to lose to the latest and greatest native implementation. And so that's not y- to say that you shouldn't use HTML5, but I mean, I think that's just a reality. Right. You're, you're always going to have the John Carmacks of the world who want to squeeze every last pixel and performance and just impressive visuals and amazing simulations they can out of any like computer, right? Right. But you're also going to have this vast audience of, of our mothers and, and just people who don't care about technology where JavaScript is plenty, you know? Like, okay, JavaScript, with JavaScript, you can play Angry Birds, and that's all I care about, so who cares? You know, <laughs> right. a lot of people are going to live in that area where it's slower and it doesn't matter, but there's always going to be people who they will never even consider it because it's just vastly slower with the crazy stuff they're doing. Right, and again, that just kind of brings us back to our original point that, you know, HTML5 has 
a lot of great things going for it and but it's not always the right tool for the job i mean right. it, it's certainly the right tool for the job in s- certain circumstances exactly yeah um so i guess that's kind of where i was going with that is that you know a general tip would be to pay attention to performance because performance matters uh, a lot you know right. people expect apps to be responsive and and we've seen you know people have done studies that like more than a 200 millisecond delay in rendering a web page will cause you to lose sales right yeah like it does matter at a certain point but javascript is like always moving towards either staying there or beating those whatever that number needs to be and that's not really even a javascript specific tip that's just hey whatever you're making your software and you should make it responsive and fast (laughs) yeah (laughs) like you can write slow c code as well if you really want to (laughs) right um but it's, it's one of those things where when you're developing html5 you have a lower ceiling essentially, uh, than you would with other languages. And so it's a little less forgiving when you're doing inefficient things sometimes. Exactly. Um, And so to that end, I think what I mentioned on the rectangle was that you should be intimately familiar with the Chrome profiler or the Firefox profiler or whatever your profiling (laughs) flavor happens to be. (laughs) But you should be paying attention to how your app is performing and you should do it on a frequent basis. You know, you should profile... Um, your JavaScript code and you should know, you should at least know where the hotspots are because that enables you to make good decisions later. You know, uh, I profile our game engine, I would say at least a couple times a week. Um, nice. Not with any like specific goal in mind, but like just to kind of keep my finger on the pulse of like, where are the bottlenecks in this application? Yeah. Uh, because then what happens is that armed with that knowledge, you know, I can make better decisions later. Like when you bring up something, you're like, oh, I want to do this or, or do that. And I can say, well, you know, that implementation might require us to add some more code to this really hot function. And I, I don't think we should do it because right. I, I know for a fact that that function is already seeing a lot of traffic. So you've got a good working knowledge at all times of where we can, uh, where we could stands to be faster and where we actually have some flex room right yeah and so it makes it it's kind of a twofold benefit right one you know places that you shouldn't touch or you shouldn't right. be adding extra overhead to if you yeah. can help it uh, and two you you know where to focus your optimization efforts right like right premature optimization is is a problem that you can avoid just by knowing where to spend your time most efficiently yeah exactly Well, that's it for this week. Uh, we'd like to say a special thanks to uh, Deloitte Digital, um, Ben, Connor, and Forrest, uh, all great guys that kind of made this roundtable happen, and uh, they did a great job. And so we're really looking forward to the video. It should be coming out in the next week. Um, so we'll definitely put that out there on the social media channels and stuff. We're going to play you out with Astro Crush by Joshua Morse. Ship it.
And then I'll say we're going to play you out with Astro Crush and then you say ship it and we're done. Okay.